The reading may be found on 1169, 1169 in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at the first verse and going on to verse 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second Bible reading is from John chapter 3, verses 29 to 34. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who is from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and, sp and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent 
speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have the freedom to read your word and pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts will be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. So the gospel reading this morning led me to reflect a little <clears throat> on the traditions surrounding weddings. June's often a great time for weddings, isn't it? Um, now, I don't know if it's true or not, because you can't always rely on the information you Google, but I read this week that June is so popular um, for weddings because way back in the 1500s, people commonly had their yearly bath in May, so they felt they were rather sweetly smelling and ready for a wedding celebration in June. And also, best men. In, in our culture, we refer to the friend of the groom that the gospel spoke of there as the best man. Do you know why we do that? Now, well, according to Google, this is apparently because many moons ago, the tradition of my ancestors, the Scots, was to abduct their brides-to-be. And the friend of the groom who excelled in planning the acquisition of the lucky lady was referred to as the best man. I had no idea. John's Gospel reminds us how much we love a wedding celebration. We plan and make arrangements for the best celebration of a happy day that we can possibly manage. We have flowers. We wear our best clothes. We eat nice food. We have bridesmaids and best men. But it would all be pointless, wouldn't it, without the main event. The bride and the groom are necessary for it all to make sense. John the Baptist saw himself as the best man. He's often referred to as the forerunner, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, the voice calling in the wilderness that Isaiah talked of. He proclaimed a revolutionary message that not just the Jews, but all mankind would see salvation. And now he expresses great joy because the one for whom he has been waiting and preparing the way has arrived. He's announcing the arrival of a heavenly redeemer, the Messiah that the Jewish people have longed for for centuries. Like a supporting act on a stage. He's warmed up the audience, as it were, and he now proposes to step aside for the main attraction to be engaged with. Jesus must become more significant, and John the Baptist will now take a back seat. This is so because as a mere man, even though he's a prophet, he recognizes he has a limited understanding of heavenly matters. Jesus, on the other hand, comes from heaven and he is above all else. 
His understanding is complete because of his relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. To him, God gives the spirit without limit, we read just now. Complete, unlimited communication between the three of them means that if we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus, and in him we see God. In accepting Jesus as God's Son, we enter into relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit too, and we're given eternal life. Jesus redeems us so that we might receive this gift by faith. This is the gospel message that Paul took to the Galatian church. It's a message that they embraced, even though they weren't Jews, not part of the traditional people of Israel, even though they were Gentiles to everyone's amazement as they professed their faith, they were blessed with the Holy Spirit. This blessing of the Spirit came to new Christians, whatever their background. It was a gift bringing change, a surge of life and power to all who believed in Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy, John the Baptist's message, indeed God's promise to Abraham way back in Genesis had come to fruition. All men and women, whatever background, would come into right relationship with their heavenly father. Paul came to Galatia and preached the gospel to the people there. He publicly portrayed before their eyes Jesus Christ crucified. That's a funny sort of phrase, isn't it? The word in Greek used to describe it is prographane. It's a word that you might use if you were putting up a poster to give information. Perhaps a notice from a father in that culture saying he would no longer be responsible for the debts of his son. Or maybe a public notice to announce an auction or an event. Like all the flyers we've had around the park for the Love Bath event, I suppose. In his preaching, Paul portrayed for them what Jesus had done in submitting to crucifixion on the cross. They heard, and with eyes of faith, they saw what Jesus had done for them on the cross, and they received the Holy Spirit. They did not, first of all, obey the law, or even try to, actually. All they did was hear and believe and they received the Holy Spirit. No longer was our relationship with God dependent on keeping a torturously difficult set of rules. It simply required accepting in faith that God's love for us was so great that he had sent his son to die upon the cross on our behalf. And so we come to our reading from Galatians. Paul had gone away from this young church that he had established. And in his absence, they had begun to wonder if it really could be that simple. Perhaps there was something they ought to do to secure God's love for them. Perhaps the Jews were right. Maybe they ought to be circumcised. 
Maybe they should attempt to keep the law. Paul is really rather forthright when he hears of it. One might even say rude. He calls them foolish to even listen to this line of thought. For there is nothing, nothing we can do to earn God's love. It's a gift. And he exhorts the Galatians to remember that. He reminds them that their journey of faith began without any concept of following rules to achieve a certain level of moral excellence. They had no idea of keeping the law of Moses. Nor did they feel the need to join a certain people group in order to feel acceptable to God. They didn't start out considering it necessary to convert to Judaism. No, their journey of faith began as a response to God's love for them. Modern theologian John Stott reminds us, sinners may be justified before God and by God, not because of any works of their own, but because of the atoning work of Christ not because of anything that they have done or could do, but because of what Christ once did when he died. For Paul, wherever the good news of Jesus is being announced, the Holy Spirit is active. For as he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can make any confession of faith at all. Consequently, the gospel message is not an invitation for us to do anything, but rather a declaration of what God has done for us. Paul turns the eyes of his readers back to the cross, for this is how we recalibrate as Christians. We look to the cross to find renewed vision and to experience the work of the Spirit in our lives. In truth, it's really quite easy to go astray in our thinking if we take our eyes off of Jesus and start to listen to the world about us. And we're no different in that from these poor, misguided Galatians. How easy is it to fall into thinking that it's what we do that matters rather than what God has done for us. As we gather around the communion table this morning and retell the story of how Jesus, God's only son, left the splendor of heaven and lived and died amongst us so that we might receive this undeserved gift of restored relationship with the heavenly father. Let us take a moment of quiet to recalibrate, to refocus on the cross and to remember the work of the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of our hearts and gives us that gift of faith. If we abandon the hopeless struggle to live a perfect life in our own strength and bring ourselves and our sin to God, his grace opens its arms to us and we find ourselves at peace with a God who is no longer judge, but rather a loving, heavenly Father 
On this Father's Day, let us turn back to the cross and acknowledge the love of our eternal Father for each of his children. Let us open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and allow him to draw us back to right relationship with the Father. And let us give thanks. Amen. We're going to sing now together of that amazing Father love for us. The words of the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Let's stand together if we're able to sing. <laughs> 